I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. I got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. There's a great big world that I want to see and a whole lot of things that I want to be. All I got to do is count one, two, three. episode is a fabulous conversation with Angie Ellis, who is of the Ellis Brothers Pecan family. You may know them as We're Nuts. Angie worked in the financial industry for over 30 years. She found her place at the table in industries and organizations that are predominantly male-dominated, and she rocked, making impact in the community, in schools, in industry. They have a fourth generation working with pecans, through her son joining the company where they grow, process, and put incredible flavors on pecans and sell them all over the world. Learning about the branding process and how they market is tremendous in the relationships that they build outside the United States. She talks about the health and nutrition aspects of the pecan and how exports help that market. She looks into the long run and the pecan industry as they are diversifying their markets and looking at other countries. Angie is involved in traveling and marketing the products. The stories she tells, you are so going to enjoy. Like the setup shop in New York to introduce the pecan with its nutritional value and pulling growers together with one voice. She says the pecan industry has got to educate. Work isn't all that defines Angie. She says everything we do is not what defines us and who we really are. Having inner confidence is so important. We also talk about family and positive messages for moms and kids alike. She would tell her kids when they were snow skiing that if they weren't falling down the mountain, then they weren't skiing to their potential. Let's join in and take a listen. Hi, today I am in Cordell, Georgia, and I am with Angie Ellis in her lovely home looking at a lake view. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So glad to have you. So I will throw it over to you and let you introduce yourself as to who you are today, who people know you as today. That is funny you ask that because sometimes I'm known as Angie Slade, which is my maiden name, but I've been married 35 years. Sometimes I'm known as Jenna or Slade's mom, and sometimes I'm known as Gigi to my two beautiful little grandsons that are three and one. But who am I really is just a fun-loving, people-loving person that worked in the financial world for 30 years until my grandchild was born. And then I decided that really wasn't who I am. Who I really am is a grandmother. (laughs) That's the best part of life for me right now. (laughs) So the chance to get to redefine, that's great. It's been great. your children are close by. 
I have a son and a daughter. They both live here on Lake Blackshear, right, very close to me. And my daughter has two children. And my son, I keep trying to convince him and his wife that it's time to start, but they're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, their own time, their own time. So now you've also, your family has a business that you have been an integral part of. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, my husband's family owns Ellis Brothers Pecans, we'renuts.com. And his grandfather actually started the business. So our son is the fourth generation in that business. We own a little over 3,000 acres of pecans. And we do everything you can imagine to a pecan, from growing it to processing it to putting the most wonderful flavors you've ever had on a pecan and selling them all over the world. So I spend a lot of time traveling and helping market the business. Oh, wow. Now, when you met and fell in love, did you know that this was a part of your life? No, I had no idea. Um, my husband actually moved here from Madison, Georgia, which is right outside of Athens. Go dogs. And I was 15 years old. And he was playing football with my brother. And he brought this good-looking guy home. I could not even date. But that was the spark. And he stayed in my home um, every weekend for about a year until I turned 16. And then my family decided I could date, but only if my baby sister went with us. Oh, well, that's fun. So at 16, we started dating with my baby sister. And at 17, I could actually go out with him by myself. And then we both went off to college. We got married. And it's history. Only guy I've ever dated. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great story. So baby sister was... Um, excited about this or was oh, it a drudgery? Yes, yes. I have two sisters and they were both like, all right, if y'all ever break up, you think you'll go out with me? No, that's <laughs> hilarious. And my mom was the same way. So, and my dad died early. So we, he was like the son he never had, yeah. but, um, anyway, he's just been a part of our family for a long time. Well, and he evidently uh, had the tenacity to stay <laughs> Stay with it and be patient. It's amazing because I cannot believe he really did that, but he did, and That's we have great. we have fun together. Yeah. So you worked together as well? Or no, no? I worked in the financial industry okay, for thirty so were... years, and but I'd always help him with projects. But once I retired from the banking world, then all of a sudden the projects became more or <laughs> different aspects. He would ask me to come in and help with whether it be auditing files or doing cost analysis or all of a sudden it turned in will you do the Facebook page oh you do the mail order business will you do? <laughs> you know it's like wow and then we started traveling doing exports and that became a whole nother world so oh, I bet it is I want you to talk a little bit about that um, so when you came out of college and went into the was finance your that was my focus major. Me, yes. right out of college so that translates into so much, just the skills that you had to have. Um, and so you're able to use those still. Well, the great thing about that, I think, is it prepared me to come into a small business that was family-owned, that had never had anyone outside of the family working. So really what they knew was what they had been passed down from generation to generation without any outside influence 
so me being able to bring in just some different skills that I had learned from not only studies, but from the banking world, but from some of my great clients um, has just, I think, enhanced some of the things that they were able to do at Ellis Brothers. And it's been a changing industry. So you have some of those skills that maybe when you're smaller, you don't have to implement as quickly, but the more you grow. And that has been a very difficult thing because, you know, really no one likes change. People say that, and they say it in such a flippant way, but when it becomes reality, and especially when you try to get all family members on board for something that's kind of foreign to them, it has it's truly been a challenge, but it's been a wonderful challenge because when you finally do something and you've you have to back away and try to start with a different strategy where in the banking world I wasn't used to that. I was used to have a team of players and everyone was after the exact same goal. So the strategies were always put together to reach that one goal. Right. And so when you have four generations of family members in something and they kind of have their own little goal of what yeah, they Yeah, everybody has their own <laughs> agenda or what they're passion might be with it so it's kind of like herding cats at times to get everyone to say okay that's great you've got this but in the big picture it's all going to come together and it's going to make this beautiful portrait so right that's those are two great analogies you can see the cats going and then you can see the portrait um so exporting that is not something of course that you were doing in the beginning so that brought no, its own challenges and, and it, learning curve? It's a huge learning curve, not only for us, but to the markets that we're trying to export. It's The pecan industry is funny because it is the only nut that's indigenous to the United States. It is the most healthy nut out of all the tree nuts, and it is grown in 15 states. So when you have 15 states growing, you have over 10,000 growers. So trying to bring all those growers together as one voice marketing one product, it has been a huge challenge. Um, When you think of other tree nuts, when you think of almonds or pistachios, or they only have very few growers, three or four major. So it's easier to pull those people together and brand something. So when you have 10,000 people trying to tell different stories, it's hard to brand something. So to sell a product like that in other countries, you have to decide how you're going to do that, how you're going to market that. And it has been a tremendous, tremendous challenge But I will give kudos to the growers. They voted two years ago to form a federal marketing order. And I had the privilege of being able to be voted on that council out of, we have eastern region, western region, and um, we have three different regions that represent growers and shellers. And it's the first time ever we've had a coalition to come together. Oh, wow. And... That has been just an amazing opportunity 
to see everyone working together for the good of one industry. And we've still, we still have a ways to go, but we're eating that elephant one little bite at a time. And we may have gotten a toenail so far, but we're still trying. Well, you got to start somewhere. So with pulling that coalition together, um, I mean, that's a voluntary aspect of what's already a huge job. It is a voluntary aspect. But the great thing about it is the people that are on that council love their industry. Right. So therein lies the passion that is behind the force to try to make a difference. And the U.S., the domestic intake of pecans has never really jump-started because Americans as a whole are not that into health and nutrition. Now, you have aspects of them that are, but the Asian people, that is huge for them. So that is one reason the exports have been so good to the pecan or tree nut world for all of these years. And then, of course, now we know what the tariff has done in China. And so because of that, people say, oh, that's terrible. Well, it may be in the short run, but in the long run, it has given us an opportunity as a pecan industry to diversify our markets. And we would not have necessarily done that as quickly had the tariff not risen. But now that it has, we are looking for alternate countries to go into. And it's kind of like I explained to my spouse. I said, you know, I really think of this just like your investment portfolio. You know, you want to diversify, diversify. And we should have been doing this all along in the pecan industry, not depending on China to buy all of our nuts. So it's been a great thing. And the relationships we're building across the world are just tremendous. That is, that's fascinating. How do you even know where to start to look at other markets? Well, we, under the federal marketing order, we work under um, the USDA. And no matter where you go outside of the United States, USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, means a world to those people. Because when they see those letters, they are automatically thinking, this is good. It's regulated. We know what we're getting. They're honest. They're ethical. And that is the feedback that we have gotten since we started um, exports in about 2008. Now, my husband is the president of the U.S. Pecan Growers Council. It's made up of all growers, and they started about 10 years ago marketing U.S. pecans in other countries. And their logo is so prominent that no matter where we go now, if it says U.S., people flock to it because they have a trust wow and that's a little bit of a legacy there that began back with those that really weren't formulated as a, a whole working unit but yet their inroads certainly led you there right um u.s pecan growers and they're they're made up of nothing but growers they started under um the federal ag service fas they are under the USDA, so they oversee the U.S. pecans. Then the federal marketing order came, and it mixed pecan growers with pecan shellers, and they are under 
the AMS, the Agricultural Management Services, which is also under USDA. USDA. So where the American pecan is strategically placed for more domestic marketing, the U.S. pecan is strategically placed for international marketing. So That is really interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. Things that I hadn't thought about and actually just swell up a little bit of pride of, wow, that's well, impressive. It, it is very impressive when you travel. And one of the things we hear from most of our visitors that come in, we do a lot of in-country agents that come in to see it see the pecans grow yeah, and the process, the process of it and what they're actually getting. And it makes me realize that a lot of times we as Americans are complacent because we expect quality, we expect regulations where these other countries, they do not. And so for them to tell us how excited they are to be able to come visit this country to come in and see our processing, to see what a great product we offer, it does make you swell up with pride. And I just, every time they leave, I just have this wonderful enthusiasm about me, you know, that I want to go off and save the world. <laughs> I can understand that. So do you think that maybe in the U.S. we need to show these processes more and educate more. Education is huge because out of the 15 states that grow the pecans, very few of the states even realize anything about them. And we know that because under the American Pecan Council, we did a one-day setup shop in New York City. And we just opened this beautiful shop. We had chefs, and we opened it for the whole community to come by. We did it close to a school so that when the kids and their parents came by after school, we would have snacks and things. And I am just amazed that outside of those 15 states that grow from California all the way to Georgia, um, Mississippi, nobody really understands the pecan, the nutrition value, the health benefits. They don't even, some of them don't even know what they are. Oh, wow. I can't imagine. No. I'm from the Great South. So, but I do understand you hear so frequently in the schools that children don't even realize that a tomato comes from a plant and that it actually is a whole round piece of fruit, classified vegetable. But, you know, so there is a learning curve that's just absolutely missing but um, that <laughs> but we're on in in our country we're on such a health kick and going plant-based do you see that helping the pecan industry I mean it's not absolutely only if we as a pecan industry market it correctly right uh, that is that is going to be a job for us to do and also you have to think about the segments because we do offer, we have a retail store, and we have visitors and clients that have been coming for years from all the northern states. We have a huge mail order business. But our pecan pie is still one of the number one sellers. <laughs> so regardless of the snack packs that we have, the health of just the raw, natural, um, GMO-friendly, everything, keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, all of that still the sweet tooth yeah. is is the best sellers. Well, that's and I, that's familiarity. 
Uh, um, Let's jump back to the friends that you're making in all of these um, extensions out to other nations. Mm -hmm. So you are, right now you have a visitor in your home. And so talk to me about her reactions and and just just the relationships that you've been able to build. Uh, well, right now we have um, Varie Van Vossen in our home. She is from Bangkok, Thailand, and she is the largest food distributor in Thailand, and she owns five plants, uh, four in other countries and one in the U.S. right now. But she has been able to come over. We just met her a week or so ago, but we just had this awesome connection and so we just invited her to stay which we always do our home is always open we've done that for years with rotary students or anyone that we've met and she took us up on it so she's here now and she her biggest thing was wanting to go to the pecan grove see how the pecan grows look at it see the freshness unfortunately a lot of the people outside of the u.s when they receive pecans by the time they're shipped overseas and they're not stored properly they do not get a quality product and that is something that we will need to be addressing as soon as possible so her thing when she came over here was she actually saw the beautiful golden hue of a nut the taste the smell she had never seen before oh wow and her perspective on that has been amazing because where she comes from, Thailand, is one of the top food culinary places in the world. And she's like, why, why do we not have the premium nut? Why are we getting less than this when we are the top place for food? So it was something that she did not even realize. Um, so that was that's very interesting. Also, she was very interesting to talk about the marketing. She has, like I said, five companies, huge marketing, um, huge research and development department. And so what we see, she sees differently. Like in some of our logos, there's the color black. And she says, that's no-no in Asia. Oh, yeah. It's unfriendly, and it makes us think of death. And then we, there was another logo that we were using, and she said, no, 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 it looks too much like an almond. She said, we're already confused about the pecan because we thought it was a walnut. And she said, now on top of that, you're bringing unfriendly logos, and you're bringing something that looks like an almond. So now is it a wow. pecan, a walnut, or an almond? She said, wow. you all have got to get your marketing better. <laughs> <laughs> but to find that, you're getting probably the best market research that you could possibly get and it's by that relationship and the trust in talking and being open and so but, would and it, it make just, you change would oh it? absolutely we will change and the best part about that is we stop and we are so arrogant that we're trying to market the way we think the way we eat and she's like our culture's different you have to be in bound country and understand our ways. And you have to look at all the historical data of our country to be able to market to us. It has just been phenomenal. So you really do have to form a relationship with buyers or with, now you said there are 
agents that come in country? We do. When we um, so oftentimes when we go, we have an in-country agent wherever we're going that tells us where we should market or whom we should meet, what suppliers are importing, who's exporting. And oftentimes they will bring people. A couple of months ago, we had a chef out of China, out of Shanghai, and he trained 2,500 chefs a year, and they're all placed in five-star restaurants all through Asia. And we had him here for a couple of days, and that was interesting because he stayed in Atlanta two days before he came down to South Georgia, and he said, I went to every restaurant I could find that was supposedly five-star, and no one had pecans on their menu. <laughs> he said, and Georgia is the largest growing pecan state. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, every time you get so feedback. point out some feedback. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So pull in the five-star restaurant chefs and do some pecan training? Exactly. That's exactly what we do and start marketing to them and nutritionists and chefs. And that is one of the things we're told because everything that Asian people tell us is that people eat by their eyes. Oh, that's true. And it I would has, believe that hands down. Yeah, they're saying it's got to look beautiful. It has to smell good. And they don't eat much. They eat all day, but very small oh, pockets of food all day long, especially with their snacking. Yeah, yeah. I, um, Isaac, I was telling you earlier, is getting into. He's the jujitsu fighter, and he has formed a friendship with someone that changed his eating to where he's doing the smaller meals and the vegetables, and and it is the is so much more nutrient packed. But we, as Americans, don't think that way in general. So um, I, I, my mind is just exploding, <laughs> going all different directions. Um, and this is the thinking of your orchard, and are you? is this thinking going into other groups and growers? And is, is there an association that well, kind of pulls those ideas together? Well, the ideas internationally are through the U.S. pecan growers. Okay. Um, and so all of that information that we received while we were in Thailand will be written in a report and sent back. Um, but, yes, we will, I will take that firsthand on. And what I did was instead of it coming back as Angie Ellis saying it, I actually asked the people to repeat anything they said, and I videoed them. Oh, so, so that it's not my message it's their message and they are the consumer so I just felt like it would have a little more validity right but coming straight from the source and I'll share that now with I'll share my videos with the U.S. pecan growers I'll share my videos with the American Pecan Council and I will share my videos with the Georgia pecan growers. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that, in turn, will get it in the magazines and get it on the websites, yeah. you know, for anyone to, to see it. Because the way we feel about it at Ellis Brothers Pecans is if one nut is sold, it helps the entire industry. Well, very true. I mean, you're growing. You can't serve the whole population um, alone. So that's – all right. Now – Y'all had some storms here Ooh. in the last couple of years. 
that really impacted, especially last year? Yes, we had Hurricane Irma came through last year and took out about 2,000 of our trees. And this year, Hurricane Michael um, came and took out about 4,000 of our trees. However, you know, you just have to make do with what you have. It helped us kind of clean up some stuff. And one of the things my husband and I did is we took some of those trees and had them planed. And I have the most beautiful hardwood floors in my bedroom right now from those pecan oh, trees. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. So well, it wasn't a that's nice. total loss. Yeah. Oh, wow. But you have to plan for those kinds mm -hmm. of events, natural events that you can't control at all. How do you handle that just emotionally? Well, now there, you ha I have to say, and I'm sorry to be so hesitant about answering that question, is you can't control everything. And that is so hard for us sometimes because we as a population want to be in control of everything. We want to control when we order, when we get it. And it makes you realize that the good Lord's in control. And no matter what you do or what you put together to try to prevent anything, you better have a mindset that something is not going to be perfect. And we have started, and lots of uh, growers have started new plantings, and they were doing that already in anticipation of the China market growing. Okay. So some of those plantings are five, six, seven years out. And it took out some old trees, but it's just going to give an opportunity for others to start more plantings, I think. So that's going to help the growers in the nursery business. And, you know, you can look at things in a negative way any way you want to and any time you want to. But if you try to step back, look at the big picture, and put a positive spin on it, there's always an opportunity. It may not be knocking at your door, but it's there, and you can find it if you're really looking for it. And would not get it if events didn't fall in place like they do without our expecting. Exactly like I was talking about the tariffs. We yeah. would have never started into other markets like, like we are right now heavily. I mean, we may have a little bit, but not like we're really searching for now. And it's just brought on wonderful relationships. And how do you, when you, you said the word searching for, how do you search? I mean... In our minds here, it's like, well, you sit down and you Google and you, so how do you search for well, opportunities? Well, outside of the U.S. or inside of the U.S.? Maybe Out, both. Okay. Outside of the U.S., the Foreign Ag Service is, through the USDA, is our arm and our strength about kind, trying to let us know what markets we should be exploring based on their in-country agents they're telling them. Um, the biggest thing I have learned, and I've got a lot to learn, just by the way, I'm only, I don't even think I've scratched the surface, but what I have learned is that anything that the Americans do, the foreigners want it. Really? And that's what everyone we brought in our home tell us that. Yeah. So if we're eating this, they want it. If it's, I mean, they may put their own little touch or seasoning on it or whatever, but if it's good enough for us and it's USDA regulated, they want it. And see, that's kind of interesting to me because we kind of are a little tempted and 
and looking at what's over there as, you know, being somewhat what we strive for. I mean, you mentioned the culinary. Oh, to go on a culinary world trip would be incredible. Well, so be I guess careful what you ask for. <laughs> you might not be prepared for some of it. <laughs> this is very true. Well, what it is is you go and you partake and you don't ask questions. You just go ahead and embrace. Good, um, po- good point. <laughs> while you are involved in all of this, that it just sounds fascinating to me. There's a balance to what you have to do in your life. I mean... You could wind up traveling seven days a week, 52 weeks out of a year. How do you balance? How do you pull back? How do you slow down? You know, now that you know the need is there, how do you reel that in for yourself? Well, I have a son in the industry, and the way I look at it is, all right, your dad and I have set some ground ground roads for you, but it's time for you and your generation to go. You know, don't be complacent. Don't be timid about traveling. And I think we as Americans sometimes are timid about other cultures. I don't, I see that a lot, but I just think it's time for the next generation. I'm gonna balance myself because I want to be playing with my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And. I lost my dad when he was 50 years old, and my husband and I have said forever that we're not going to sit back in our home and twiddle our thumbs. We're going to do things. We're going to travel. We're going to take our children. We're going to take our grandchildren and do things, spend that quality family time with them. And so I'm telling my children now, when you're young, you get out there and you do all this traveling so your dad and I can sit back and enjoy you and your children. <laughs> and won't you leave them with us for a while? Yeah. Just go off and stay. You go to your work and we'll babysit. So. But there are lots of people out there. It's, I think it's important for us at our age, and I am 55 years old, I think it's important for us to encourage and polish that generation, our children and their friends and the next generation, to be the best they can possibly be, and that is to spread your wings and do things outside of the box that you're trying to live in. And I love that. I love that, to polish and, and set them out there to go. So did you go with that mindset as you were raising your children? I mean, putting the tools and the things in place that they need? We did. We started that when they were born, and... You know, we were of the mindset, my parents were of the mindset that, you know, we're going to build a great foundation right here in this home for you, but you will never have accountability and you will never have growth unless you get out and do some things by yourself. Now, we'll be here along the way with you, but you're going to at least experience the accountability of every decision you make. And that's exactly what we've tried to do with our two children. And we will do it with our grandchildren. Is You know, you've got to learn to think on your own. You've got to learn to think outside of that box and try new things. Because if you never fail or you are never made to experience that accountability, you will not learn and grow. So. But somewhat in our culture, there's been that thought process of, 
if you make a mistake, there's no recovery. You don't buy into that? I do not buy into that at all. I, this is what I told our kids when we used to go snow skiing all the time. If you're not falling when you're coming down that mountain, then you are not skiing to your potential. <laughs> and that's the way we try to live life. <laughs> so you can tell Becca that if she's out there water skiing and she's not falling, that she's not working to her potential. <laughs> Well, she does fall and she does get frustrated somewhat. But but that's a great analogy because it's um if we stay safe, then those opportunities won't present themselves. So it's um I like that philosophy. Um so have, have there if you were talking to a young mom, I keep hearing this lately with the with young moms. They're just they sound scared and intimidated. And I, I know that I had some fear, but I was real busy with three at a time. So it, you didn't have time to think about being scared. So what would you say to that, Mom? Well, I think your point on when you say that, we I know my daughter at times, she gets you know, scared. She's busy. She's a physical therapist. She has two kids. And I tell her that all the time, that you you cannot slow down and think about what happened yesterday or today because you've got tomorrow to look forward to, you know, come home, get your balance, get everything washed, get your house clean, do whatever you need to do. It doesn't have to be perfect. And that was my mistake. Right. I was one of those that I wanted it perfect. And I did not spend enough time hours on end sitting on the floor playing like I do now with my grandchildren. So I try to let her see that now instead of later. Not that I feel like I've made, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. I'm just trying to get her to understand that there is a balance. There should be no fear because you're the only one that's ever walked in that particular path with your family. Right. And the dynamics of your spouse and your children and your in-laws, you know, you're the only one that has done that. And you just got to meet the bull with the horns and go with it. So, and she does. She's really great. She's very independent and strong-willed, like her mom. So. <laughs> well, hey, they, <laughs> my husband used to tell me that whatever attribute drove me the most bonkers with the kids was the strength that they would have to have to plow forward in whatever their lives became. And I really think that's true. I'm seeing it. And and as a young child. I can see how the children were young, and it's pretty much who they are as adults. And it, that's, in a way, that's scary, but in a way, you realize that whatever you've got going on in front of you, you almost need to foster it because it's, it is who they are and who they will be. Well, and your, your point on again, because my daughter-in-law is a second-grade teacher, and she says that all the time, that she can pretty much spot each child and tell you where they're going to be when they graduate oh, wow. high school from that second grade experience. She ought to write that down and then at least those <laughs> that she kind of stays close to or their families when they graduate or when they go off say, this is what I said about you <laughs> in the second grade. Good point. She of it could also her. scare some to death if she showed them right now. But, well, uh, I think she's real encouraging. She just got teacher of the year at her school, so oh. I think she's a tremendous encourager for those children. And that we have to have. I, I think there are places, the classroom is one, 
that if we lose control there of having influencers, you know, you have this influencer now with the social media and all that. Mm. It's like, guys, influencers were created and I just dropped the whole <laughs> little apparatus in case you heard that. So I will leave it there. Influencers were created years, centuries ago where they just weren't called influencers and we didn't, don't think of them as such, but teachers are certainly influencers. Oh yes, they are. And I wish most of them had the confidence I would like to give them. <laughs> I mean, I think they do have it, but I just, it, it's like I tell my, both my children, be who God intended you to be. Don't try to be what you think people want you to be. You know, because you can have such a tremendous role by being who you are and who you were made to be. So, And then that means you've got one of you because you were created to be. And the thing is, people want you to be this today, but they'll be, want you to be that tomorrow. So there is no, you have to follow the correct path for yourself because right. the other will change. And we, you know, we often want to define ourselves as what our job is or what our education is. And that's not who we are. Everything we do, of course, helps mold us, but those are not the things who we really are. So kind of talk about that a little bit more. I mean, you were in the financial world, which could have completely defined you, but you've crossed into so many other places. How do you make sure you don't go down the path of being defined by a career or job or some title? Well, I, I think that comes from just your inner confidence. And I don't know, like you said, social media and publications always throw out there something they want to make you or you should look like this or you should be this. And we ha don't have enough confidence at times, I think, in our own self that we're always striving to have our hair cut like somebody else or wear that designer, whatever. And I think that really hit home with me when my daughter was playing sports. She was a college athlete. And, you know, they have them on a very rigorous It schedule. is a hard <laughs> life. And especially in the weight room and things like that. And... You know, she was built like a college athlete, although she was recruited for her swiftness and her speed. But it started slowing down a little bit, and we would go shop. She would call, and I'd go up for the weekend, and we'd go shop. And she couldn't wear the things that the magazines and all the commercials were throwing out because she wasn't built six foot tall in a pencil. And... It started wearing on her emotionally and not feeling like she was up to specs with the other the other girls that were not on the softball team, you know. And so that kind of started my encouragement with whoa, 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 back up, back up. You know, let's let's shop where the things that enhance you because you're a beautiful child. You've got lots of talent. She was very smart, very athletic. But for some reason, none of that was reaching 
her conscious mind, the only thing that was reaching is, I can't wear that outfit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Mine came, came along as swimmers, and to have swimmer shoulders, and to go into a, just a simple sweater, they would struggle and get so frustrated. And I would want to say, but the butterfly, you can swim the butterfly, and that person can't. So it, it's really hard. a tough, tough message. It is hard. It's hard as a parent to see your child struggle like that, yeah. knowing they're this beautifully, wonderfully made human being. And I think part of the trigger that changed her attitude was she ended up with what we thought was a knee injury, and we ended up at Emory with an orthopedic doctor. And it was her muscle pressing. Her muscle was so big from so many leg presses in the weight room. And the doctor said, why are you doing that much? And she said, well, we're required yeah. to do this, this, this. And each week we have to, he said, no. He said, you need to be in swimming and you need to be in yoga. And I will write you this prescription for your coach and your athletic director. He said, I implemented this program at Georgia Tech uh, football and cut their injuries by a huge percentage. I can't remember quite what he said. And to this day, my child is 30 years old. She's a physical therapist and has never had one minute's problem with her knee since she started swimming in yoga. Wow. And slimmed down and now can wear those jeans that yeah. those. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think that there was a period where trainers may not have really known what they were exactly prescribing or at least having enough data behind it to say hmm, this is good this is not good so that's fascinating yeah I mean um, it's it's just amazing what all you go through your children raising your children trying to balance that life and so and that's to me is important to be here and to be around my grandchildren because as she and her husband are experiencing life and all the frustrations of trying to balance, then here Brad and I are with a little bit of wisdom from what right. we went through with them to say, okay, let, let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's think about this or let's, let's work on this, you know. So Yeah. Well, and that's good to have that support. And, you know, one of the things that we have encouraged our children, and I think that this is probably something as kids go out, if they can form relationships with other people to where when you're not close by and somebody else is, they can have those pseudo-parents or pseudo-grandparents. It's You've got to build your community. So have you, I mean, you're fortunate to have them, you know, close by, but have have you experienced that where you've become that pseudo mom or grandmom for someone? Oh, yes. We have a fabulous community here. Um, we also have a fabulous church family, and we're all part of small groups. We're all part of Bible studies. And so I don't want just anyone influencing my children. <laughs> so even though as they were growing up, we had that close-knit community within, even to the point where our children, we had a pact as parents. And, oh, yeah. if, and if we had 
you know, things that were going on at the church on Wednesday, but yet they called a football practice or a softball practice on Wednesday, we were all together. Okay, they can go to practice, but one of us is going to pick them up at a certain time because they're not going to miss their, their church activity. And we all held to that. And even though at times, you know, the kids were, of course, punished for that, well, you can't play the first quarter, well, so be it. But it's okay because in the end, they're not going to remember that. Right. They're not going to remember missing one quarter of a game when they were in the sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. You know? But they will remember the pact that took care exactly. of them all. Exactly. They remember the friends, parents. And to this day, we're still very close. And I know anytime we leave town, there are a handful of those that we call and say, all right, we're going to be out for the next 12 days. And our children know who to call. And fortunately, my mom and my husband's mom are still living and they're here too. So the great grands are all still a part of yeah. it. So Yeah, that's good. Well, and you know, no matter how grown they are, there are life issues that come up that they don't know how to deal with. And frankly, they've come up with some things that I don't know how to deal with. And you have to kind of pull your mental resources to come up with a plan or or advice, or go, I don't know, I'll listen to you. <laughs> and that's about as far as I can go. Well, and we, Jenna and I really do that. And I'm anxious for my daughter-in-law to be a part of that too. But when Jenna was like 12 years old, 12, between 12 and 13, you know, sometimes you have some of those um, emotional things that are going on in the household. And so we sat down one day on the bed and held hands. And I said, listen, baby, you were my first child. And you did not come with an instruction manual. I'm doing the best I can to try to understand you. And I know you're trying to understand me, but we're going to do life together. And from that day forward, it was much better than me trying to fight and win every battle. And my husband sat down one day and he said, there are a lot of emotions in the house. He said, please remember one thing. We're going to win this war you don't have to win every battle. Wow, and significant. It was a huge step in our family dynamic because then it was like, you know, you're right. That bedroom does not have to be spotless every morning when she leaves it, you know. And my son was never like that. They were so different. He was so much like my father, which was the polished military type. And... She was so much like my husband where, oh, if I take it off and throw it on the floor, it's fine. And I am so OCD that I couldn't take it. So You had to find a compromise there. And that, but when he said that to me in such a loving voice and, you know, like, you're absolutely right. It's all that matters is the war in the end. Now, your siblings, are y'all close? Very close. I have two sisters and an older brother. And we all live around this area, and we are we talk on the phone every single day <laughs> with our mom every day. Yeah. Well, so you probably have friends that were here, and they left, and they never looked back. Do you ever think of what life would be like if you were, like, not in that nucleus? No. I cannot imagine not having a family nucleus because... Raising two children with me working and my husband, you know, trying to run the business. If they had not been here, 
I mean, I could never have done that to the, to the success I would have liked to have done that, you know, as far as making sure I wasn't at work. Oh, are they okay where they are? Because I always had my mom there or sister there. Yeah. And my sisters both are in education, so they were off all summer. And that was wonderful because they stepped right in. They never had children. And my children became their children. Oh, wow. So they've always had three moms. <laughs> I was going to say, that could be a great thing, or that could be a, oh, my goodness. I cannot get away. Well, they probably have felt like that at times, but if they have, they've not shared that. They, they kept that quiet. <laughs> yes. It, enough years have not passed where they Oh, and they're still great with life. them. They talk with them all the time, just like they yeah. do me. So. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Busy wife, mom, working. What do you do for fun? Everything is fun Everything. to me. Yeah. I mean, we we have a wonderful life. I mean, I... I play with my grandbabies. We go to the beach all the time. We scuba dive. We snorkel. We travel. We we love water, as you can yeah, tell. Um, and so, do all of you scuba dive? Yes. We we started that when the kids were actually Brad and I started before we had children, and then as soon as our children were old enough to be certified, they'd already been snorkeling. Yeah, they became so. It's been a family. Yeah. thing for a long time my kids are certified and one of them's a dive con and I don't know how far along Becca has gotten but um but they love it and it just again it opens a whole world you know not just under the water but the community of right. people and that's that's a tight community of people it's been amazing for us and it we the way we looked at it is we all played sports everybody played something we're like okay when we get old you know, I'm not going to be able to hit that softball or run those bases. The boys aren't going to be able to play football and basketball like we did. My, and what can we do as a family that we can always do together? Yeah. And so that's what we do. We do that. We snow ski. We Anything outside. We like to be outside. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Let me go back to the college sports because that is a tough role it's a tough role for the the college kid and it's a tough role for the parents I had one that played football and we would they he played with Kentucky and we played against Alabama and so we had on white and blue and Becca and I took off our blue shirt because we're sitting there in the midst of Alabama and we're just quietly just being quiet but it is hard to be in that role can you flash back to some of that and because there are a lot of listeners I know that are in that world and it, it's not a world people understand well it's funny it. you say that because um, my daughter played for Mercer University and they played um, in the Suncoast Association but they did play like Alabama and University of Georgia at times and it, what I ended up having to do, and you're going to laugh, because I would get so upset sometimes. Um, I, would get, I would get upset at parents on the opposing team, because I've never been a parent that's going to shout at an, another team member or an opposing team member. Right. Is that they're kids. Right. They're children. <laughs> yeah, I think we have the same heart. And it's like, 
okay, do you really expect that 18, 19, 20-year-old to be perfect and professional? <laughs> Hello? So sometimes I would get so upset that I would have to take little Bible verses and I would put them in strips and I'd put them in my pockets in different places <laughs> because I'd have a tendency if I get mad, I'd do my fist like that, stick them in my pocket. So all of a sudden I'd feel, you know, a crumpled piece of paper and I'd pull it out and there was something that would say, have a, a verse on it about, you know, being of a mindset of Christ that, you know, everybody's made in his image, you know, and just like, and it was like, whew, don't go over there and beat that parent in the head for you. <laughs> so that's funny that you say that because, I, I mean, that was truly a difficult time as a parent and trying to teach your child to zone that out, turn that out, don't worry about it. You know, so what if you struck out one time? Your batting average is X. It, it does not matter if you strike out one time. You're going to do that. Look at um, all the professionals that have got these wonderful career highs of home runs, but three times the strikeouts. Or, you know, and it's, oh, yeah. or when a coach is screaming at them for not performing to what he thought was their best that day. Well, everybody doesn't have a best day every day. So um, all I would ever tell them is give it 110%, do your best. And if it's not perfect for him that day, it will be one day. Your day will be there. So just do what you can do. Yeah. Tori, our middle, our youngest, I keep wanting to make her my middle child. I don't know why. <laughs> Becca is the middle child. But Tori um, was a basketball player and she played college. And then Isaac played football. And it would just rack my mind that somebody would expect from a child to entertain them in this game and go, wait, do you realize that they have a chemistry exam on Monday and they still have to study and perform for that? And I think professors were harder on athletes, athletes. than they were anybody else because they just expected it. And then you would go from early morning practice to late night tutoring required no matter what your study skill set was, and it just is a lot. It's very intense. It was extremely intense. I know they would be up running campus for however many miles were required every yeah. morning by like 5, 5.30 a.m. And like you said, they may have an 8 a.m. chemistry exam and then practice, then weight room, then study hall, then tutor and oh and then, they need to eat sometime and, and parents yeah. want to visit sometimes sometime, but there's no yeah. time <laughs> i remember tom played football when he was in college and you know at that time they treated athletes very differently and they they had and and athletes get perks don't get me wrong but um but they would have these tables to feed them well then came the the laws where you have to provide for everybody the same thing so you can't have a totally different dorm and a totally so I mean it is a tough life and 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 yes they choose it and yes there are some benefits to it but um but I think as a mom and then you, you kind of as you come off of that you have to re redefine who you are too because you're 
weekends and everything are suddenly different. Oh, wow. You're... Yeah. They, the funniest thing to me was I was when she decided our daughter was a business major, but she did all of her electives to get into the doctorate program of physical therapy. So she actually worked really hard, bless her heart, and it was yeah. very emotional. <laughs> Those are not basket-weaving electives. she graduated early. So she came home one weekend, one holiday, and sat down to tell her dad and I that she was not going to play her senior year because she was graduating early. Well, imagine what we focused on. Oh, yeah. But You're not going to play your senior year? We want to watch you play. I can't believe it. Instead of, wow, you've done all that in three and a half years with that kind of schedule. Wow. And she just broke down. And we're like, we're the ones upset. Why are you crying? And she pointed out that I have worked so hard to get all this. I'll get upset about it now. Oh. And we were still in that mode. It's all about us. That was our entertainment. That was our fun time, meeting all those parents and going up, you know, and instead of, Wow, baby, you this is amazing what you have done. We honor and treasure your decision. We're you know. I am really glad you shared that because I think that many of us get caught up in that. And I think for people to hear you say that makes us all realize, oh, maybe I'm doing that too. And I talked to somebody not long ago. We have to redefine our friend groups constantly through our kids because we're forced to be soccer moms or softball moms or basketball moms and so you automatically are friends with these people because you spend an awful lot of time with them yes you do (laughs) and then sometimes they might become your lifelong friends but then a lot of times they're not you don't really see them anymore because life has changed and gone on so there's a bit of giving yourself permission to kind of wave through that kind of walk I mean that's and we did and it's amazing though how the connections there are those few connections even outside of the college once they graduate and go their separate ways all over the country there's still those few that you connect with that you still keep up with right and they've really impacted when they travel or we travel we make a point yeah you know to to see them, however, well, even if it's just to stop by and have lunch or something, 30 minutes or an hour out of the way of your travels just because of that connectivity. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating because I think it impacts a lot of us, whether we are the parents of athletes um, and now you've got young ones that are coming and they're playing year-round everything, year-round from one sport to the next sport to the next sport. What would you say to your kids with with their children to about Stop, that? back up, find balance. Do not give those children time to be children. And do not push them that way. If they want to do sports and they want to do back-to-back, that's, that's really fine. But once they hit that age where they're tired of it, listen to them. Don't force them in a role that they're not... You know, and there is a balance about that, too, because sometimes some of them want to give up just because somebody yelled at them. Or they're, right, right. You know, 
but you you really know your child's heart if if you're really with them and paying attention to them, if you're actually communicating with them every day. And one of the things I've read recently is that when you sit down at night with your young children or your middle-aged children, don't ask them, how was your day? Ask them questions pointed like, did you learn something different today? Was a, There was a different word you heard today? Or what, what today, was there anything that upset you or that you saw happening that you would like to change you know ask them things that will engage in conversation so that you just don't say how was your day fine Fine. (laughs) (laughs) you Eh, know and I thought that nothing much yeah that's important if you ask those specific specific leading questions that get conversation going Um, and then at the same time they need to know what's going on with you we've had some of our kids friends who do not know what their father does for a living and you're like you have no idea what he sells or I mean that's kind of basic in our world because we're so much apart well and it was in our world because my dad my parents made it a point once a month to sit down at the dining room table and do go through the budget oh wow you know and look at the checkbook see where everything went and to me, that is important. Because, like to pull y'all into that? Or well, we would be, think, in the would be in the family room, so we would hear it and see it. It wasn't, you know, they weren't trying to hide it. They weren't really trying to include us. Right. But that was, I think that was important because we forget sometimes those little minds are so absorbent. And they take on any problems that the family, they think the family may have. So... You know, if you're struggling, and we have had people in this community, being in the financial industry for a long time, a lot of people struggle that you will never know. Right. And they try to hide that. It's always trying to keep up, you know, those appearances. But kids know that in the home. A lot of them know that. So I think it's important to say, you know, guess what, baby? We... We can't go to that store and buy that today. I know you've been wanting it. So, you know, we're going to budget for it. So why don't we put back this amount this week? And, you know, I think that's important to let them know that and teach them the value of having to save because we are in such an instant gratification world that a lot of them, and I say that because I was always invited to go into the high school and teach a budgeting class. And every year I would go out and say, I'm not doing that again. Because I was so blown away at the disconnect of reality to what those high school, and I'm thinking, they're about to graduate and go into the real world. Yeah. And clueless. You know, and most of the time the feedback I would get, well, why would I Why want do to I do that? To Why would I want to do that? I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring that up because we are involved in one of the companies in the Prattville area that host a leadership class and a leadership class, and within that, they put a financial. Um, oh, I just lost my word. Financial education okay, yeah. in there, and, and they just kind of 
or making sure that there are some concepts that that are at least explained through once they don't get that in school anymore they'll get a job and then the money just goes through the fingers and um, matter of fact Becca is coming to teach it and she is going to take her check stub that of course she still has from <laughs> which is the, foreign to most people now. <laughs> exactly um, from when she was a lifeguard because a lot of these kids would have been lifeguards and really go through it and explain this is what this line means this is what this line means there's there's a true disconnect so I think there's some responsibility that we as a community must take on and and share and help that education prosper well I would agree with that um, it's almost like though you need to start it in the home yeah because but you can't we control that as much but we've lost probably two generations I believe that um, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn with that but we truly I have seen that through the 30 years in the banking world and I see it now on the retail side which I had not been on before <laughs> just with staff and employees and you know it's almost like before we hire I, I would love to make them sit down at least two hours a week with me and say, you know let me say okay I want I want to enhance you and I want to show you and I want you to start learning these financial things for your own home right now and oh, that's wow. I would that'd be a great program I just I don't know I just feel like that's I spent 10 years doing a ballroom dance and etiquette for fifth and sixth graders. So Did you really? I, I've passed that. So now it's like I really want to get them to know more about how to budget and what they should be doing in their lives instead of, you know, yes, ma'am, please. And I mean, I want that too. Don't get me wrong. Right. However, they could go hand in hand. Yes. All right. I got to jump there. Ballroom dancing. Really? It was. We had the best time. A partner of mine, she and I decided to do this um, National Junior Cotillion League franchise, and we did that for 10 years, and it was the most fun I have ever had with uh, fifth and sixth graders. So That's great. It, we met once a month for an hour and a half, and it was just, and even the parents were like, we fight over who's going to pick them up because of everything they're going to talk about when they get Oh, the I know. You could be that little <laughs> fly on the wall. Isn't that funny? I, loved, I, I always wanted to be the pickup. For whatever my kids were involved yeah. in, because that's when you get all the information. Oh, yeah. So, any chance any of those kids that you taught have any th memories of that that they've shared with oh, you? Oh, they do. In fact, our very first class are now married with kids. Yeah. And every time we see a few of them, they're like, Miss Angie, do you remember so and so? And they were fabulous students. And what is so cool about kids is they. They take in every, even when you think they're not listening, oh, they are just soaking it all in. And it may, it's like us when we go to a seminar for a job for further education. You know, sometimes you go in there and those things are over your head and you're like, oh my gosh. But then you get to working in whatever you were learning and everything starts clicking mm -hmm. and making its pathway through your brain. It's like, wow, I remember that. And that's, kind of the way it is with social skills sometimes you hear it and like I'll never use that fish fork in my life and all of a sudden you're at a business dinner like whoa 
That's a fish fork. fork. I know, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably hard not to say. I got this. I know. So. Oh, that's anyway. hilarious. Well, we have talked all over <laughs> the spectrum, but I know that we have missed a lot of topics. One that I do want to jump into is community service because you definitely, that's how I have come to know you um, through Becca being involved in the community league. Talk to me a little bit about that. Why do you plug back into the community like you do? Well, I guess I've always been in the community from growing up and watching parents. And it's always, to me, been the heart and soul of this county is our community. And even early on when I came back from college, I started working with the Chamber of Commerce. And then I became a member of the Rotary Club. And at that time, I was, there were two of us females that were allowed in the club oh, wow. at that time. And I think Trailblazer. <laughs> the only reason I was allowed, because they knew my family, my grandparents. <laughs> she might bring I think nuts. she'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and so that was mainly men. And I was on the chamber, and a lot of those boards were mainly men. I worked in the banking industry, so I worked with a lot of men and the community league was thriving and doing wonderful things in our community and they were all went professional women and i was like you know i need that i need to have some conversation with professional women that only professional women can have together and it was the most wonderful decision for me to get, and plus they were meeting at night, you know, only once a month for an hour and a half, and the perspective is so different, and you know that because men and women are made so differently, Um, and the things that they were doing, and the biggest difference is it's behind the scenes, and that's what I like. I don't I'm over all the accolades. You know, when you first start out in the professional world, you think you've got to have that president of chamber plaque sitting on your, or graduate, you know, of this, or whatever. And I was so over that by the time I started in the community league. And it was like, I don't want, I've got more to offer than my name printed somewhere. That's not me. And the community league was a perfect fit for me because we do everything behind the scenes. We raise a lot of money for this community. We are the helping hands to a lot of struggling families that people will never know about. And that's what I liked. I like to be that that powerful force that nobody hears or sees, but they may see the result of something, but they just don't quite sure what it was (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah well and it that brings a whole nother level of richness to you that I think if the young professionals don't take part of they they just miss a tremendous segment so what would you say to that young professional you know we we do what we want to do and I I hate to be so blunt about that, but in the end, that's reality. You do what you want to do. And 
I know it may be an hour, an hour and a half out of your life once a month. But to build that kind of network and to have that kind of encouraging strength, if there's any way you could let your spouse or your family have some bonding time with your children for one and a half hours a month, I promise it would be the best thing you've ever done. Um, because what they forget is they're, in, they're performing every day at work, and I know that, and that's hard. And then you come home, and you're performing again, you know, being that mother, being that spouse, maintaining all that. But sometimes you need time for yourself. And that's the one thing mothers and females, I think, a lot of times always put on the back burner. And usually that's the first thing that goes. And that's why so many lose their identity and sometimes are so frustrated and depressed or, you know, just I would encourage you if you've got talents, even if you don't, I bet there's some we could find. I would encourage them to come join us and be a part because, you know, the one thing we don't do, and I'm going to probably be politically incorrect, is we do not have enough diversity in our community league. We're, we're going to have a big membership drive next week, and we're, we're trying to reach out to that. But being a part of this small community for a long time and having – lived and been reared here and graduated from high school here, um, there's really no reason whatsoever for us to have divided lines between our community, whatsoever. And I do not know why they're still there. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's just comfort. It is a comfort On both zone. sides. I mean, you know, it's like, and fear of, you know, I don't know what to expect when I go here or go there. So maybe it's the change in the mindset of those that are in whatever organization are doing of being open. And I, I don't know. I think, I think we have that everywhere. I think it's the same reason we've heard from our in-country people that Americans don't travel as much as other country people travel. You know, and it may be yeah. that comfort that I want to stay here in the U.S., but for some reason, it's on a different mindset within the communities. and I That's interesting that you say that because you know, I told you earlier before we started that Becca had a great deal of international relationships when she was in college and grad school. And it would amaze me. It would terrify me as a mom. They would say, well, we're going to New York. Who's going with you? I'm going alone. And it's, what? We wouldn't dare dare do that and so but there was this miles didn't mean anything and they would just go and explore and experience and I just was more paralyzed I mean my kids go and do a lot but with all these little systems in place you know along the way so it is the openness of just experiencing the unknown and I I don't know why we're that way I don't know why we're know. fearful of that but it's it's not just internationally, it's within our own communities that we're yeah. fearful of experiencing our neighbors and, you know, the different backgrounds that we came from. And, yeah. you know, when you boil, boil the pot down, we're all the same. I mean, we truly are all the same. Yeah. 
<laughs> How do people get in touch with you? Angie at weirdnuts.com. <laughs> there you go. It's easy. W-E-R-E. Not we are, but we're nuts. I thank you so much for the time you've given me today, Angie. It's been fabulous. We've weaved in and out of all kinds of conversation, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, you're welcome. I knew you would enjoy that. Angie Ellis is so interesting. It was a great conversation. If people eat by their eyes, then definitely need to order or stop by We're Nuts because you'll have a feast. Angie has such wisdom when she talked about the mindset that something won't be perfect and you have to be prepared. For instance, talking about the new plantings that were five, six, seven years old, that was planning. And then a significant storm hit, but it also helped when tariffs were imposed. So being prepared and looking at the big picture and putting a positive spin on something, you'll find it if you look for it. Thanks for joining.